You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. I'm not digging any more holes. I mean, you might as well teach this shovel to read. Go ahead, Zero, take it. It's all you'll ever be good for. D-I-G. What's that spell? Dig. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. And you are listening to another episode of Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies, the ones you're nostalgic about, the ones you grew up watching, Brandon, and uh, we watch them objectively. We let you know, are these movies actually any good, or are you blinded by your nostalgia? This week, we watched 2003's family adventure dramedy, Holes. Digging up them pearls. Dig it? Yep, yep. Dig that it. brought me back. The Detent yeah. Boys? You remember that the single t- or music video that was on Disney Channel all the time? Yeah, yeah. I do. I do. It. I saw it so much. And I like don't remember like any of it except for the armpit verse because it starts with A-R-M-P to the T. <laughs> What's was that, that you smelling? Dog, <laughs> Dog that's, that's me. me. Yep. And then that's it. That's all I remember from that entire video. Immortal words to live and die by. We'll get into the music of this fucking movie. Oh, will we ever. And just like the undertones of this movie in general because I didn't like, honestly, we we have movies sometimes that we start off where it's like, you know, we're going to go through this movie. We'll, you know, it'll be a movie review podcast. It'll fall into the ether of things. And then we have some movies where we're like, dude, we're going to have so much to talk about. And I didn't think this was going to be like one of those like, Dude, we got to dive deep into this. Like, But there's a lot of things in this movie that I don't think are okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the adventures down there start digging. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. I cut into your, hey, no, your tagline. It's a line. format. I got to throw bit. it in there when I can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, excuse me. Well, I mean, let's just jump into it. What's your, your history with um, the story? Of course, it's based on the book. That I read back in middle school, brah. You actually read the book. I read the fucking book. Yeah. And I, I vaguely still remember it. I vaguely still have some memories of it. However, the movie, I wouldn't say more memorable, but was something I revisited throughout, I'd say, my my young teen years. Sure. You know, something that I, I caught back up with a few times. I probably haven't seen it in a good 10 years. I, I will. I'm kind of the opposite in terms of I also read the book, but I think the book sticks more with me than the movie did. And I don't know why that is. I think maybe just like the book kind of taking its time to like, I'll say this right off the bat. Um, There's a lot of backstory that is needed for this movie and for the book. I mean, just so much fucking backstory and like lore and legend. And I think it's just way easier to tell that in a book than it is in a two hour movie or whatever this fucking movie ended up being. Yeah. It's about two hours and it does a whole lot of, cutting back and forth and I will say that's what I noticed on this watch was was just how dense the material is. It's very dense and I think it gets a little clunky in the movie. We'll get into that. So I think the book just kind of stuck with me more. Um but I you know I, I know when this movie came out people were obsessed with it, especially our generation people were obsessed with it. Yep. I don't think I really got in like I wasn't like a holes head, you know what I mean? Like I just, I was like <laughs> I I You weren't into holes. No, I wasn't in well you know, <laughs> friggin' as, about as much as a fourteen-year-old boy can be into holes, yeah. Um, but but you know what I mean? Just like I, it, for me, it was a piece of media that came. I thought it was pretty good, and then it left. 
and I was happy to kind of leave it that way until this podcast. And uh, it was interesting to rewatch because, man, there, there's like I said, there's just a lot of shit that I just don't remember or like didn't really give a lot of thought to back back when I first took this in. Yeah, I, I honestly very similar thoughts to you. It was a book and movie that I enjoyed at the time. Haven't been back to in quite some time, but I do really fondly remember when this movie came out, the hype around it. Uh, because the book wasn't that old, and we had just literally just, I think, read it in middle school, so it was all fresh in our minds. And then, you know, yeah. the announcement that this was going to be made into a movie was pretty exciting. Um, and it may have been one of the first times I ever read a book and then immediately saw the adaptation, um, at least a new film, anyway, that's not based on a pre existing uh, novel right. or something. But yeah, it was an interesting experience as a, as a kid. This came out, yeah, I was like 12 years old, and I don't believe I saw it in theaters. It was a DVD watch with my family. Looking across the critic scores, audience scores, and from what I remember people talking about this movie, a fairly beloved film. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say it, it's a classic, but I will say it's it's well-reviewed across the board. I'd say it almost borders on a cult classic that like nobody rewatches. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, curious I think, if people rewatch this one. Yeah, yeah I think I think this is... I think it fits the mold of this podcast perfectly because I don't think people have gone back and rewatched I think this is only maybe the third time I've seen it. And if I did see it like more than once, it, it was within the same time span. Like it was probably within a year of watching it the first time. So yeah. I think this is a movie that a lot of people remember as good and like wouldn't question that it was good. But like, you, but who's seen it since 2010? You know? Yeah. I mean, it's coming up now on 20 years old. But yeah, the last time I probably yeah. saw it was like 2010. Because again, it was one of those times like similar to now where I was like, oh, I haven't seen Holes in a really long time. Let me watch that. And it was just like, right. again, kind of a on the whim, like, eh, let's try it. Yeah, exactly. But it uh, has quite the little pedigree. It's directed by Andrew Davis, who also brought us a few films that we you've probably never heard of. The Final Terror, Code of Silence, Above the Law, The Package. Then he got into uh, Steven Seagal, Under Siege. Then he brought us oh, The Fugitive, fucking great movie. I love wow. The Fugitive. Yeah. Um, Steel Big, Steel Little, Chain Reaction. He did Collateral Damage with uh, <laughs> Arnie there in, in the course. early 2000s. Yeah. That's when Holes came out, 2003. And his most uh, recent film was The Guardian in 2005. Do you remember that one? Kevin Costner, Ashton Kutcher as like Coast Guards or something? <laughs> no, <laughs> I didn't see it. I remember. remember it coming out, but I didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was his last movie, so um, yeah, yeah, still alive and and but not doing not doing movies. I mean, he's got like three very notable things for yes. better or for worse on his. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the Fugitive's great, Holes is we're gonna talk about, and then Collateral Damage. I think are really the only three that I think would stand out to a casual moviegoer. So the book, as we stated, um, was written by Lewis Sacker, and I'm saying Sacker because I had to look it up because I rem I distinctly remember no one being able to pronounce this son of a bitch's name right. It was people said Sachar or or Sakar. I think it's Sacker, from what I understand. I'm gonna call him Sacker if I'm wrong. Go for tweet it, me, bitch. Yeah, tweet, uh, yeah, but it's based on the novel of the same name, which was uh, originally published back in August of '98. The movie holes has a 7.0 on IMDb and a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, with a critic's consensus that reads, faithful to its literary source, this is imaginative, intelligent family entertainment. An almost identical 76% audience score, so as we mentioned earlier, this movie is good, good, maybe not great, but good, according to most people. It cost $20 million to make, it earned $67 million in the US and $71 million worldwide, Ended up ranking 41st on the box office charts in 2003. 
In terms of other Disney movies released that year, this earned less than Finding Nemo, uh, past episode Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl, and Brother Bear, but it did outgross The Jungle Book 2, which I guess went to theaters, the Lizzie McGuire movie, and Piglet's Big Movie. Did Piglet's Big Movie? Were you there for opening weekend? Or were you more of a Tigger movie guy? I was a Tigger movie guy, probably. <laughs> but um, <laughs> strong, uh, strong showing for Disney that year. I feel like there's a lot of, I mean... Finding Nemo, obviously, Brother Bear, I know a lot of people still talk about, um, and the Lizzie McGuire movie, which people still fucking... <laughs> yeah, you, you another one that our generation... Escape, <laughs> you can't escape the Lizzie McGuire movie, man. Another one from our generation that, yeah, a lot of people hold dear. Yeah. Um, it did gross about $16 million in its opening weekend. I guess it finished number two at the box office behind Anger Management in its second weekend. People <laughs> stay, loving Anger stay Management. Stay fucking tuned for Anger Management. We have to do Anger Management. <laughs> we do. We have to do Brother Bear, too, I think, at some point uh, to really piss you off. <laughs> do we have to do Brother Bear, though? Do we have to do Brother Bear, though? Uh, speaking of anger management, though, Roger Ebert gave Holes three and a half out of four stars. He he said he was quoted saying, I walked in expecting a movie for 13 somethings and I uh, walked out feeling challenged and satisfied. Curious how much more grown up and sophisticated Holes is than anger management. <laughs> what do you expect? I Roger? mean, hmm. he went he walked away feeling challenged, huh? Yeah, I did, too. I did, too. But probably not for the same reasons. <laughs> so. Interestingly enough, uh, there was a screenplay initially written by Richard Kelly, the guy who did uh, Donnie Darko, um, which greatly departed from the source material. It was a dark, violent adaptation, supposedly set in a post-apocalyptic world, almost like a Lord of the Flies type deal. But the studio rejected it. Yeah, founding it a bit too disturbing for a kid's movie. And I guess they had the actual author, Louis Sacker, uh, write the screenplay for the story, for the movie here. I'm sorry, better movie. Would have rather Dude, I seen would that movie. I'd love to see Richard up. Kelly's holes. Yeah. Wait, hang on a second. Hang on. No, <laughs> precarious title. I know I'm a, yeah, I'm a kid. You really are. You're a fucking child. I'm gonna end the, I'm gonna add the podcast. <laughs> That's we're done. But Richard Kelly's holes, I would genuinely enjoy seeing. That that sounds like a. Fuck. I know. God damn it! I can't keep saying it. All right. Anyway, <sighs> there was quite the search for an actor to play. Uh, Stanley Yelnats, who in the book is depicted as being obese. He's shedding a ton of weight um, as the book progresses. And filmmakers chose to just drop this aspect entirely because they thought it'd be too difficult to convincingly portray the loss of weight in a live action film. Honestly, kudos. I think that was a wise idea. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of smart, too. And, like, uh, it's hard to fucking sort of sensitively display what's essentially child slave labor. Oh, yeah. Oh my god. I mean if you if you if you show an obese kid losing weight because he's doing so much fucking hard labor, I mean you probably get a couple of write-ins. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure. I do um want to mention this is of course the film debut of Shia LaBeouf, which is who they ended up casting. Um and he was actually working simultaneously on Even Stevens. I think this is the time period that's depicted in that movie Honey Boy or right around there where Shia LaBeouf's kind of like autobiography of sorts where, you know, he, he was working with his dad who was his on-set manager and just treated him like real shit. And um, it's also just weird talking about this actor now whom I, I really enjoyed when he first started out there and, and now um, seemed to start to have a comeback yeah. and then there's been some allegations against. So, I, I you know, I'm not going to speak into that sort of stuff, but, you know. 
what a fucking career this kid has had. And and to know that like this point in time, especially when he was acting, was just a terrible time. And people even on set here were remarking, I guess, on some of his dad's behavior. And yeah, I guess he would work on this movie or he would work on even Stevens and then work on this movie. And so it was just like run ragged for a, a good year or so there. I mean, he must have been. He was like the hardest working fucking kid in Hollywood for a time. Yeah. Yeah, and this was his his film debut and then went on to do, yeah, obviously like Disturbia and Transformers, and that's what really blew up the next couple of years over his career. But he, w- he was nominated for the coveted MTV Movie Award for Best Male Breakthrough Performance in this movie, Zach. Uh, didn't win. I don't know who did win. But I will say that Andrew Davis uh, wanted a boy who was like a young Tom Hanks. That's what he said. And I think they kind of succeeded in what they were uh, going for anyway with Shia LaBeouf at the time. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. I, I, it really, like, again, I just think we have to hit home on how remarkable of a child actor he kind of was. Yeah. He's extremely versatile. Yep. And I guess Frankie Muniz was in the talk, was in talks to be uh, cast Oof. in the movie. Agent Cody Banks. Oof. No thanks. <laughs> but it does have quite the cast. I will say you've also got, like, John Voight. Oh, God. We'll get into him. Tim Blake Nelson. And uh, what's oh, hilarious? Favorite. Yeah, he's fantastic in this movie too. I love Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, but he's really good. Sigourney Weaver, who's top build, I guess doesn't technically appear until like forty minutes into the movie, which I did find kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's great, and a lot of these kid actors, not many of them, surprisingly, went on to do a whole lot at all. Like that kid Zero, not I remember even, everyone I was thinking. Say not even the guy who played Zero. Yeah, I remember everyone thinking this was going to be the next big kid too, and um, yeah, just haven't seen him in much or anything really since then. Cleo Thomas, his name is. I'm just looking him up now. Oh, dude, he was in that The Rock movie, Walking Tall. I remember that. Yeah, I guess I hasn't done that. done a whole lot over the last few years that I'd know anyway. But uh, mm. he's working. He, he'll always have holes. He'll always have holes. Huh. Now, we mentioned the cast. The soundtrack, by the way, Who Doggy, some beloved artists from yesteryear. I think I heard there was some eels. I heard some eagle-eyed cherry. Um, mm-hmm. Moby, I think. I think I heard Shaggy at one point. And then, of course, you got yeah, the D10 I'm, boys. I think you did hear Shaggy and the D10 boys. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, again, there are things about this soundtrack that I really like and things about this soundtrack that I'm like, oof. The score itself, I actually have some some issues, some problems with, because at one point it sounds straight up like Seinfeld. <laughs> I, I noted it down like... <laughs> the last bit of trivia I found kind of interesting was, I guess, a couple years after the film... This film was released in about 2006. The author, Lewis Sacker, did publish a sequel to Holes, which I never knew existed, called Small Steps, which I guess focuses mainly on Armpit and X-Ray moving on with their lives about two or three years after leaving Camp Green Lake. Why didn't we get a sequel, dude? Probably because it was bad. <laughs> if I just had to guess, it was probably bad. Probably I have not read it, grab. but uh, yeah. It's probably I mean, building on a story that was already told. and It seems rather pointless. From my end here, because this book, book, this book and movie is so heavily steeped on this this family, this fucking curse, and you know Camp Green Lake itself, fucking Yelnats family, yeah. But it's rated PG for violence, mild language, and some thematic elements. I was surprised how much violence we actually got in this PG rated movie. People getting shot point blank in the chest and shit. We don't see bullets blow through them or anything, but like this isn't your 2022 PG rated movie. You know what I mean? Sigourney Weaver like fucking poisons John Voight. (laughs) Oh, that's a good scene. All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's get into it. We begin with those, you know, timeless words. You've got to go dig them holes. 
I like the beginning here, the, the little chant and stuff that they're doing, which yeah. you never see them actually say. I always thought that they were like the chain gang out there just singing, digging up. Oh. Yeah. But no, it's just a, just a sound. Again, just right off the bat, I get real slavery vibes from this movie. I really do. It's, it is. It's kind of. Ugh. Look, so the opening, the opening bit here, it, again, it throws you into it. And if, I'm trying to get the perspective of someone who never read the book or anything. There's so much to take in especially if you haven't read that book, but just the start here, beautiful shots of just kids, teenagers, digging fucking holes in the middle of the no of nowhere desert. And it's just a striking image. I like the way this begins. And one of the kids, affectionately named Barf Bag, just takes off his shoes because I think he's like heat stroke and, and his brain's boiling, essentially. <laughs> he walks up to a rattlesnake and it bites him. He essentially tries to commit suicide. Like, Yeah, that's essentially what he's doing. Yeah, and it's like, Jesus Christ, where are yeah. we? What is this? And then over the next, I'd say, 40 minutes here, it's really a lot of back and forth. And again, the whole movie is really back and forth, but really just the setup of getting Stanley to Camp Green Lake yeah. is both simultaneously happens in five minutes and then is also drawn out over the next 40 minutes of like what actually happened to get him there. Yeah, it's fucking intense. Um, it's so funny that you mentioned like trying to watch this from the perspective of someone who's never read the book. I'd almost say the book is required reading to fucking understand really what's like to fully appreciate this movie. And, and I don't usually say that a lot of, about a lot of movie adaptations of books because there's like two different historical background stories that like you need to like know in order to follow what's happening. Like, why are they digging their holes? Has its own backstory. Why is Stanley's family supposedly cursed? Whole backstory. Plus the backstory of Stanley. Plus later the backstory of Zero. Plus like it's just it's so much to take in it almost feels like it have been better served as a fucking tv series or like a mini series because i just like i think it's tough to follow sometimes in a two-hour film yeah i mean give disney plus a good couple of years they'll they'll bring a holes mini series yeah they'll, like, we'll get a yeah. holes we'll get a holes remake maybe it'll be post-apocalyptic and dark <laughs> exactly uh but yeah i do think you almost have to just give yourself over to the movie and expect that like this is all going to make sense eventually because at first it is just so much thrown at you because we then cut to a pair of shoes falling on young stanley yelnats the fourth this is shia labeouf um he's taken home by police where we meet his eccentric family there's Henry Winkler as uh, his dad, Stanley Yelnats III. We got Siobhan Hogan, and I know I'm probably mispronouncing her name, but I know you've seen her before. She plays the wife, Tiffany. Siobhan, there we go. Okay, um, yeah, she's in, she's, you know, the the wife in Men in Black who's talking about, it. your skin has fallen off your bones, Edgar. It looks like it's going to be one of those situations that we fucking hate on this show, the wacky house of the inventor, like a honey we blew up the kid or a flubber. Uh, drives me fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some sort of like ironing shoe machine behind him that's going off that makes no real sense. Except if like these mad scientists didn't like weirdly have endless amounts of funding. Yes, to, like, of course. Yeah. Put into their fucking craziness because this is literally just like a tiny fucking gross apartment filled with dirty shoes <laughs> yeah henry winkler is obsessed with shoes for whatever reason I, he's asking the police officer to smell can i smell your shoe like come on dude that's a quick way for a bullet yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah it's like i guess he's trying to make some sort of what chemical compound that eliminates shoe odor i think that's what he's going for yeah all right 
But Stanley is wrongfully convicted of stealing that pair of sneakers that were, we'll eventually find out, were donated to a homeless charity by uh, baseball player Clyde Sweet Feet Livingston. Um, and because of this, he's sentenced to 18 months at Camp Green Lake. Let's just get this right off the bat, too, by the way. This kid, from what we know, has no record. No record whatsoever. They have no proof that that kid was there at the charity event. They didn't even question him. Like, he could have just said, like, I literally, like, I found the shoes on the ground. <laughs> like, I picked them up. And this judge is like, I could send you to prison and not lose a wink of sleep. Like, he didn't <laughs> fucking kill anybody. <laughs> He found a pair of shoes, and he's just like, I'm sentencing you to 18 months. First offense, 18 months? That's like fucking year and a half. Like, that's insanity. Just right off the bat, just like, what? What the fuck are we talking about? They're talking about a scathing indictment of the, of the American Judicial Systems Act. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a rough sentence, especially we never see them like actually ask him or he never tells his side of the story. It's super frustrating as an audience just to be like, dude, tell him what happened. <laughs> because they're like, we can't afford a lawyer. That's what public defenders are for. Oh, they never gosh. have, they don't even have a public defender. They just like go into trial, which why they have a fucking <laughs> trial for this. <laughs> Like they questioning like, witnesses and everything. Even Sweet yeah. Feet's called in, dude. He's Sweet got shit to do. In. He's like crying. He's like, who would do this? <laughs> yeah, who would steal from a homeless charity? Yeah. And it's like, dude, like, and he like didn't have a lawyer. He like represented himself. At, let's let's be realistic about this. At most, that guy's getting community service. Community service, at, yeah. At fucking most. He's picking or up like, a half a mile of fucking highway trash. <laughs> yeah. Like, we... We would not sentence a fucking child to 18 months labor. <laughs> I mean, apparently they don't know what actually goes on at this camp. They think it's just like a rehab camp. But yeah, like, I guess. But it's just like you have to ask questions. You're in the literal middle of the desert nowhere. The, the, and we'll get into the actual yeah. camp here now because that's where we're at in the movie. There's these great shots again. Beautiful looking yeah. of just this winding road and on all sides of it. Just fucking he sees holes. a ghost. Yeah, he straight up he sees, sees a ghost on his way. He sees way a in. fucking ghost. Like this movie's bananas. <laughs> oh gosh! But he arrives to find that the camp is a dried up lake. Uh, there is no Camp Green Lake, and from what I guess he, he understood going in, was thinking that it was almost like a summer camp. But you know, it's definitely a juvenile detention camp in the middle of the Texas desert. Yeah. <sighs> Like, this is my other problem. I don't know how, like, nobody is, like, asking questions about this. This camp itself? This oh, again. Uh, scathing indictment. <laughs> or a plot hole. <laughs> 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 this, but this fucking movie's full of holes. <laughs> this is where we meet uh, Marion, Mr. Sir, uh, played by John Voight. Last seen on the show is, what, Nick Cage's dad, right? National Treasure, the very next year. Yes. Yeah, last time on this show. And man, he is a real dick in this movie, which, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. par for the course for John Voight. But he, he sort of looks like if Billy Ray Cyrus somehow looked shittier and, like, more yeah. gross. <laughs> a little yeah. grosser. Like, he does, he's, not looking, he's not looking great in this movie. No, there's, like, some, um, but I think it's purposefully, like, almost like, or some weird Botox thing that's going on. Like, his tape looks, his skin yeah. looks taped back near the forehead or something. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's this wig appliance. Yeah, he looks flabby in general in this movie. Well, he's, he's crouching around, and he's, like, every decision that he makes with his character is so weird. He's doing, like, 
an anaconda, like, why would you do this accent? But instead of an accent, his whole body language in this movie is like a crab man or something. He's always snapping around being weird. He's trying to play a tough guy who's not actually tough on the inside, which is the character. I just don't know if he's doing it intentionally, you know what I mean? Or if he's just like kind of missing the mark on this and like somehow still getting it. Like That's the thing. It's like, yeah, I don't call it. I'm not calling it a bad performance. It's just no. he, he certainly makes some decisions with his character and, uh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of weird, but whatever. But he tells Stanley, you're going to be spending your days in the heat digging holes. Everyone here is required to dig one hole a day. Yeah. What is it? Five foot deep, five foot in diameter. You use the shovel as the measurement tool. And holy shit, man. Could you like just imagine how ripped you'd be by the end of this 18 months oh dude i don't know how these kids aren't walking out of this camp fucking barry bonds like (laughs) like, it's nonstop, just digging all day and i i did read like a lot of the kids had to go through some sort of training just to be physically capable of even i mean fake digging or whatever they're doing out there for the hot hot sun you know like it gets to be 125 they were saying on set every day and it's like I, i can't imagine this was fun to make with all the fucking sand and shit i can't believe they filmed on location too yeah no, and I, I really appreciate it. Honestly, the yeah. only the only CGI I have a problem with in this movie is these fucking lizards. <laughs> the lizards, and there was one scene where Stanley and Zero are on like cliffs, and it looks really, oh, yes. it looks really bad. But yep. a lot of practicality in this movie. I can't imagine how fucking difficult it was to like build this set to where it's just like, okay, let's excavate like more fucking holes. I guess like. <laughs> Um, so he's assigned a, a tent or a bunk, a cell, because this is this is where I'm realizing that this movie and the book itself I, is really just a combination. More so in the movie is a combination of like prison and summer camp movie tropes <laughs> just mixed together because, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. we got like the I'm going to eat your bread at the mess hall scene and <laughs> like bullies. <laughs> It's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, essentially it's like it's like what if kids were in prison but it's just so it's like very toned down prison yeah. like cliche movie like it's funny. exactly yeah it's it is kind of funny it's I, again like i just you you really do toe the line in this movie between being like this is so goofy and like such like a like oh what if kids were in trouble versus like uh this is like kind of towing the line of like not that great <laughs> there's also uh, camp counselor Dr. Pandasky. Uh, this is Tim Blake Nelson, who yeah. at first seems pretty affable and kind of nice. He's like showing him around the place until he introduces this kid named Zero, and he's like, "Hey, guess why he's called Zero? Because he's got nothing going on. His stupid little brain." Yeah, I think I remember being confused by this character in the book as well. I mean, like by the end of both the book and the movie, he's very clearly a bad guy. Yes, but for like half the movie, he's like coming off as like. Like, oh, yuckity, yuck, 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 we're fine. Which, I mean, this is why you cast Tim Blake Nelson in this, because he's such, like, oh, my God, he's my favorite. <laughs> I love him. He's great. He's yeah. great, yeah. And, he, and he, I like his performance in this movie. But, yeah, the character itself, like, clearly he's not the hard-ass that John Voight is. He's, he's like, the lackey who's willing to do yeah. anything. And we find out later on, not a doctor. But that's almost what makes him more psychotic. Yeah, that's almost what makes him more psychotic, too, because he, like, he like puts on this like happy flays like I'm counseling you and making you feel better, but also like I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but all of the the prisoners or, or campers essentially here <laughs> refer to each other by their nicknames. So we got Zero, uh, Zigzag, Armpit, Squid, X-Ray, and Magnet. Those are the Detent Boys. Detent Boys. I can't f- I can't fucking remember 
anybody in this movie except for Zigzag, Armpit, and X-Ray. Yeah, yeah, Magnet because he's got sticky fingers, and I Squid. I don't, I don't know what his character. Which one was Squid? Yeah, exactly. Which one was Squid? But yeah, they do the sort of like taunting and picking on the new guy. Uh, uh, so there's the obligatory, yeah, we're taking your scene. We're gonna check you in the mess hall type deal. <laughs> Zero, we find out, never speaks. He's essentially a mute or has been since he's been at the camp, and he finally speaks up when Stanley's telling his story to the crew about why he was arrested in the first place. He asks if the shoes had red X's on them, at which point, I, you know, you're probably like, oh, that kid maybe stole the shoes, but yeah. that seems like a weird contrivance. And the thing yeah. about this movie is, and what I think they ultimately get away with it at the end because of all the set, because of specifically all the setup is they put so much of our faith in this family curse and then what it all means. And that by the end of it, when like the luck has like, I mean, the bad luck turns around finally. Yeah. No matter what, how random or like whatever contrived plot they come up with, you believe it because yeah, you know, <laughs> you've been you've been fucking spiderwebbed with so much crap. Exactly. You're just um, like, oh shit, that's actually really sweet and fun. But yeah, there are just so many things. Like, okay, he's also gonna end up at the same place as him. Sure. All right. I don't know how this timeline adds up because like they. They talk about Zero like he's like some veteran of this place. Like, oh, Zero's been here a long time. But like he was free when Stanley was. Yes. Like, and the, he so mentions in the he... story. I mean, he goes, he's arrested for that like the very next day um, in the timeline of the actual original events or, you know, because he's responsible for the shoes. Well, I get what they're getting at here. But like it also doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> it's like it really. But whatever. Also, this kid talks a lot for a fucking mute. I'm just going to say that. Like. <laughs> It doesn't shut up. <laughs> uh, we keep hearing about the warden, but we have not seen them yet. They're just like this larger than life figure that we keep having uh, this anticipation for who it's going to be. And yeah. we do get more flashes of the Yelnats family past. The first bit here includes like a stagecoach robbery in which one of his ancestors was held at gunpoint by uh, Kissing Kate. That's Catherine Barlow, played by Patricia Arquette. Um, and if you're wondering who the hell's that and where'd she come from, yeah, same. I was wondering that <laughs> for you know a good bit too, but we'll get into her in a bit. Yeah. Uh, but this yeah. family curse actually, we find out, began when one of his even further back ancestors failed to keep a promise to a fortune teller huh, named Madame Zeroni. This was years ago in Latvia. We got Eartha Kitt here as Madame Zeroni, who of course played a similar character yeah, in uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, as well as the voice of uh, Yzma, Emperor's New Groove. I was going to say, she is a, she's an NBD alum, <laughs> yeah, too. Absolutely. Two-time. Yeah. Two-time all-star. <laughs> the, the ancestor, I think his name is Elvia, or uh, anyway, uh, Elia, he has a crush on this, like, farmer's daughter. He goes to ask for her hand in marriage, and the guy's like, no, like, this guy, which, isn't that Borat's, like, assistant? Is that yes. the actor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The it's other guy the, who's It's Borat's manager. His <laughs> manager, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. But yeah, he's like asking for the hand in marriage too, and because he's offering a pig, uh, the farmer's like, "Well, I'm gonna go with the guy with a pig." And so Madame Zeroni tells the guy, "If you take, if you, you know, take this little pig here, bring him up this mountain every day, let him drink from this like spring up top, and he'll get stronger. You'll get stronger, and by the time he's a big fat pig." Uh, you know, you'll be able to uh, get the daughter's hand in marriage. And so yeah. he goes back to the farmer, like asks for her hand in marriage, and then she has to like decide. She's like asking which pig weighs more, and he thinks like, oh, she's easily going to pick him, and because she doesn't, he's just like, well, fuck you, then. Keep yeah. the pig. I don't give a shit. Yeah, which I don't, I don't blame him. But then he immediately, like without passing go, just decides to 
get on a ship to America. Yes. So he does not fulfill his promise to Madame Zeroni that he was going to carry her up the mountain, which, again, like, I understand he's heartbroken, he's upset, he wants to, like, get the fuck out of here, but, like, he's been going to this woman almost daily as a confidant. I would have thought that he would have, like, immediately gone to Madame Zeroni and been like, can you fucking believe this just happened? Yeah. And then she'd be like, don't forget to carry me up the mountain. Yeah, just bring him up the mountain. But because he doesn't, um, you know, his family is cursed for ever and eternity. And so that's a, it's apparently where, where it all started. Yeah, he goes to America and starts the old Yelnats clan. So one night, Mr. Sir uh, rescues Stanley kind of from this uh, yellow spotted lizard. We got to mention these things because they're all through this movie. And apparently they're very aggressive, venomous, lethal, we're told. Um, but again, because this place has no sort of safety or protocol measures in place, there's just the the, the one just John Voight walking around with a gun. <laughs> That's it. That's just the last thing I want to see. How no one's died at this camp prior to this? Like, okay, <laughs> it's clear that this camp is under like no supervision from the government, even though yeah. the government's happy to send people there. After one kid gets bitten by a lizard and apparently ends up in the hospital. The kid we saw in the beginning, barf bag. Barf how bag. is the how is how are the feds not fucking clamping down on this place? The second someone got bit by a by a fucking lizard and almost died, I like at least a social worker comes. Yeah, there's a we'll find like there's a Netflix documentary a couple years down the road that we'll all end up seeing. About yeah, exactly, camp, right? exactly. Yeah. This is wild, wild country. <laughs> But yeah, Mr. Sir ends up like shooting one because that's what he's doing in the middle of the night. Also, I failed to mention earlier, there was a fart in the middle of the night. The guys are sleeping in a tent and I counted one fart. I don't think there's any more, but knowing our rating scale. This movie is at, at bare minimum, a 60. (laughs) I don't make the rules, guys. Don't make the rules. (laughs) (sighs) So... Back to digging holes, though. Uh, Stanley's told if he does find anything interesting that the warden likes, he'll get a day off. But he basically asks what we're looking for. And I do love this. And I, I've always remembered this bit. Like, the motto here at Camp Green Lake isn't to find anything, but rather to build character. <laughs> Their motto's basically like, you make a bad boy dig holes all day, and he'll turn into a good boy. <laughs> and that, to me, is just like don't a very like a broad stroke yeah. <laughs> of what we've done to the American jail system. Yeah. Yeah, uh, building character. We do end up learning more about the history of Green Lake, and this is where it sort of starts this other parallel historical timeline that we're getting into. And man, it is—it's rough too. It's such a sad story. I know the warden's grandfather used to own half the town. It used to be this flourishing like lakeside community. We meet up with Kate Barlow. This is again Patricia Arquette. She. Uh, is kind of smitten with a local onion seller named Sam. This is Dulé Hill from uh, like Psych and things like that. Uh, you'd recognize this actor. It's obviously back in, I don't know, what is this, the 17, 1800s? I don't know. It doesn't give any year or for did I did. I forgot, but it's back in those times. It's a few Probably cities. early, early 1800s or something. Yeah, like exactly. Sometime around there. But, you know, so not very uh, kindly looked upon that a black man and a white woman are kissing because that's eventually what does end up transpiring but we do get this whole like you know love story set up between these two characters which admittedly seems in the the scheme of things while you're watching the movie especially like just really comes out of kind of nowhere and you're not especially kids i imagine like i'm trying to remember what i thought back in the day like yeah. i feel as though i would have been like when are we getting back to you know 
Shia LaBeouf digging holes. Yeah. Well, again, I think this. I think the book does a much better job at kind of making at sort of streamlining this. Yeah, making it all flow a bit better. Yeah, and like and and building up on this like relationship that's coming in the movie. It just kind of comes out of nowhere. It's a little awkward, but I. I mean, not maybe not nowhere because you can like. You can like obviously see that they're infatuated with each other, but like it is like again, I I just think the narrative is very clunky in this movie because of how many times they flashback. Because this is the first flashback to this one of like of like five. Yes. <laughs> like there's like five flashbacks. And it's all yeah, intertwined yeah. with this other shit that's going on at Camp Green Lake. And like we ne- like we also already got like four flashbacks of the other backstory we got. So I just think like, I don't know how you do it better. Honestly, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I I really don't. Yeah. No, it's just, it's an, it's an editing nightmare. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a difficult movie to make in general. Again, I think this goes back to like the, the idea of maybe a limited series for this instead of like a movie because We've seen a bunch of those movies that start off with like, oh, like you get the backstory as a cold open for this movie Mm -hmm. and then it just like gradually progresses or something like that. I think that's a better way to tell it. But, you know, that's not how they did it. So what are you going to do? Yeah. And we also meet, I think it's the grandfather of the warden. That's Charles Walker, also known as Trout. And he seems to be wanting to be involved in this weird like Try, love triangle of sorts where he's clearly pining for Kate and um, yeah, it turns out to be a real asshole as we all presume. But I feel yeah. as though this this whole yeah back and forth could have could have maybe worked better if we told these chunks of the story in in longer sequences. And so if you gave the exact amount of story, but instead of cutting back so many times, you cut back for fifteen minutes and we're going to be here in this portion and just finish it up, yeah. wrap it up, and then cut back. But again, to your you know point about it probably making a better better mini series. Yeah, it seems as though like that first episode would very likely end with the shoes falling on Stanley's head. Second, ep- you know what I mean? Like after they've already set up right. the whole family, all the cursed shit, and then you could get into yeah. Camp Green Lake from there. Or just you know, eight episodes. You don't really, get, you don't like, you get all these backstories, but you don't know how they like intertwine yet. Sure, because I mean, like the 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 way that it's presented in this movie is that like you know it's imperative to the story for some reason, right? You just don't know why, and that's part of the fun is like figuring out how this all fits together and why it all matters, right? And I just think that works better over the span of like eight hours instead of the span of two. Um, But back at the old canteen or you know the, the little cafeteria area, there he does get checked. He's like thrown on the ground. There's a bit of a scuffle here, and um. I like how when this brawl is about to break out, uh, break out rather, uh, Zero grabs a pool ball. Because <laughs> yeah. again, it's like a fucking like prison or like it's bar like scene. Oz. Yeah. yeah, it's like an episode of fucking Oz. Like, <laughs> like what is he going to do like, with that pool ball? Like man? Zero is ready to smash this kid's fucking skull in with a cue ball. <laughs> like, Whoa, man, he must have had a rough upbringing. Um, and yeah. it's, we find out here he can't read, dude. Hilarious. Yeah, I can relate. Yeah. Brandon can't read. For those of you new to the show, Brandon can't read. That's not true. I read this book. It just, but you know. He, well, okay. You had someone read it to you. We talked about this. We talked <laughs> about this. Yeah, we talked the same. about book this off air. He doesn't know how to read. He had someone read it to him. He didn't want me to say anything. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> but we do get um, Stanley's nickname here. Finally, he's called Caveman. 
earlier he found this um, like fossil. I think that's where it kind of spawned from, um, trying to get out of digging. He's also told by X-Ray that, hey, if you do find anything, new blood, you essentially give it to the people who've been here longer because, you know, you've been here for just like a week or two digging holes. It's much more, it seems fair if one of our us veterans, you know, gets the day off. And so when he does finally find something of worth, uh, it appears to be a bullet at first, but then they realize, or he realizes later on, that it's a, it looks like it's a golden lipstick tube, initialed KB. X-Ray, who's been there for quite some time, claims that he deserves the day off, so he turns in the item, and that is finally prompting a visit from the warden. Importantly, though, he holds off to the next day so that he can get a longer day off, meaning that they're actually in like a new area. Like they're in a they're in a different place. So there's no hope of actually finding anything similar because they're not at the actual hole or near the because area. they're not in the same hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> because of this, uh, we finally get to meet the warden, uh, Louise Walker, played by Sigourney Weaver. She's got a great entrance, and yeah, she has such a fucking presence that I, I love. Anytime she's on yeah. screen, um, but, I but love her- Sigourney Weaver too. But it's funny how they're just like a woman. <laughs> oh shit oh my god but she is very impressed she demands the entire area be excavated uh because she's very interested clearly in this item and she knows maybe there's more out there so again we keep cutting back to kate and sam that's uh Dulé hill um their relationship blossoming there's this um i can fix it montage or uh, anything in the schoolhouse, he keeps saying, like, I can fix it just to stay a, lo- a little bit like longer with her. Yeah. And then eventually, I think she's like crying, reading a book, and he comes in wiping her tears. I can fix it. I can fix yeah. that ass. And he does. Yeah. And that's why it's called Holes. A very, yeah, a very, very graphic depiction of these two banging. <laughs> Could you man- imagine? <laughs> Disney Plus didn't even edit it out. No, Disney Plus kept it. <laughs> They edited out butt Very cheeks. Very brave from, of you. Yeah, from Splash. From Splash, but <laughs> but they kept like friggin' what's uh. essentially pornography in holes. <laughs> no, but it is just a kiss. It's just a smooch, and that's when uh, Trout is uh, kind of spying on them and uh, witnesses this, and he's not gonna have that. And uh, as I mentioned, the editing man back and forth. Sometimes it's very jarring in tone. And case in point is yeah. when. The boys are digging holes. There's a few jokes back and forth. And then we hard cut to a fucking lynch mob burning the schoolhouse down, trying to find Sam to kill him. Uh, You know, all spearheaded by this uh, fucking trout guy there, Mr. Walker. And Jesus, man. Yeah, there's this very sad scene where, because he's uh, rowing from his island uh, where he picks the onions and whatnot. He's rowing back with his produce and they shoot him out at sea in his boat. And uh, while she watches from the shore, it's fucking devastating. Yeah. Hilarious movie. Oh, man. Um, but we still got to dig up them holes, you know what I mean? So um, she does, I think it is thankfully in here in this like flashback sequence where she we wrap up most of her story here where she then visits the sheriff the next day. She uh, shoots him dead at the jail and uh, smooches his dead body on the cheek. That's kissing Kate Barlow, dude. Thus, kissing Kate Barlow is born. She only kisses dead guys. Yeah, which had been explained earlier in the movie by... Yelnats for some reason. Yeah, it, it seems to be like a, a legend that a lot of people know. Yeah, another. Well, it's because there's another fucking backstory of another Yelnats who was robbed by kissing Kate Barlow. 
That's right. And then he goes off to earlier. survive in the fucking desert. Of course, that loops back into the story again. Just God's like thumb. Yeah. Fucking four different sort of like backstories just going on in this movie. Yeah. It's like Magnolia or like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. Meanwhile, uh, Magnet, the only thing he really does in this movie is uh, steal some sunflower seeds out of Mr. Sir's truck. But Caveman essentially takes the fall when Mr. Sir comes back, finds the bag in his hole. <laughs> and and um, Stanley's taken back to the warden's house where there's a bunch of old like wanted posters and newspapers. And that's what leads him to realize that KB on the tube there actually might stand for Ki- uh, Catherine Barlow, kissing Kate. Back in the like the warden's kind of house there, she asks him to like grab this box of nail polish and mentions that it contains rattlesnake venom. And after she applies it, she scratches Mr. Sir in the face mm-hmm. um, with this venom. Uh, basically, just like, why are you wasting my time with this bullshit? Because he comes in claiming like, hey, guess what we found? And she's all excited, thinking it's more treasure, but it's just yeah. a bag of sunflower seeds. Which I, I'd be pissed, too. And yeah, yeah. she's just like, bitch slaps yeah. him, and she's like, you can go. The warden's a badass character. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And again, it's just him trying to suck up. Oh, she's great. I love Sigourney Weaver in this role. And yeah, it's a badass character. Mm-hmm. She's pretty intimidating and... I even got a bigger kick at when he goes into like the mess hall and he's just screaming at kids like, you say anything wrong with my face? Like, yeah, dude, it's been poisoned. Yeah. <laughs> he shoves one kid yeah. to the ground and shit. Yeah, it's like beating up kids. Just like, who says anything wrong with my face? Starts throwing shit uh, all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Tim gosh. Blake Nelson's like, Mr. Sir's a sensitive man. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tim Blake Nelson's. But when he goes back to uh, dig, he's find, he finds that uh, Zero has actually dug his hole for him. So as a, a way to sort of pay him back, he starts teaching him how to read. But then but then Stanley takes too long, so it's cutting into fucking reading time. So Zero's like, I can help dig your holes. And so they start digging each other's holes. Yeah, because Zero fucking loves digging holes. This kid prefers to be here doing this. This seems to be all he's good at. I mean, And I mean, I guess maybe that over like a homeless shelter or something, but... Well, no, actually, no, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe only show. I don't know. This is when we get Zach one of the most intense fights put to screen. I don't know if you remember this scene, but it's when Shia LaBeouf and Max Cash, that's Zigzag, who I don't know if you caught this. He also played T-Dog in Waiting uh, with Andy Milanakis, the kid with the dreads. Yeah, for <laughs> didn't know that, but I guess. Okay. <laughs> anyway. They get into a bit of a brawl, and there are some punches thrown. <laughs> I did just giggle at these like two kids, like eh, 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 world star. Yeah, but I yeah. do love. It's but I love. I do love. Uh, what's what's the doctor's name played by Tim Blake? Miller. Oh, Pendaski. Yeah, yeah. Pendaski is literally just sitting there. He's like, go on, <laughs> like, yeah, hit him, hit him, hit him, and then they like. And then they like really start getting into it, and he takes a fucking shotgun out. He's like, I said, stop. <laughs> yeah, because Zero nearly chokes out Zigzag, like to defend him. He like gets on him, spider monkeys on his back, and yeah. chokes him out essentially. But yeah, Pandaski breaks it up, and it's revealed to the warden that Zero's been digging part of Caveman's holes, which is not uh, the motto here at Camp Green Lake. So at this point, there's this whole bit like, why are you trying? He's like, well, I'm teaching him how to read. He's like, why are you doing that? He's stupid. He'll never be able to learn anything, essentially. Just berates, belittles Zero um, in front of everyone. And I do remember this scene pretty vividly. What does dig, what does D-I-G spell? And he just smashes him in the face with a shovel and uh, (laughs) runs off into the desert. Which, I mean, we should have seen this coming. He did pick up a pool ball. 
ready to like, yeah. kill someone. And so. again, Pandaski gives him the shovel. He's like, here, take the shovel, Zero. Take this weapon. <laughs> <laughs> right after he's done choking someone Turns out. Turns out you all got weapons and you outnumber us. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you don't rebel. Oh, gosh. But because he doesn't really have a family, no one really sets off after him. He's just sort of forgotten about, and they destroy his file. Um, and after some sort of deliberation, Stanley decides, you know what, I'm going to go after him. I'm going to find out where he's at, because the whole point of the place is like, if you try to run, you certainly can, but you're not going to get anywhere. We're literally surrounded for miles, and you'll be dead by the third day. I love, too, that he he recruits this kid named Twitch, who like got there for like stealing a car. And he's like, well, this kid can help me steal a car. So he goes to, like, steal Mr. Sir's truck one day. And then it just, like, it turns out that Mr. Sir just left the keys in the car. (laughs) So, like, he didn't need to recruit this. Like, there was no point in introducing Twitch. He literally just, like, like, he just uses the keys (laughs) and steals the car. (laughs) Yeah, steals the truck, like, and then, yeah, sets off and crashes it almost immediately into one of the holes. (laughs) that. Goes nowhere. Yeah, it really, it's pointless. He could have just walked away. (laughs) But that's what he does. He just gets out of the truck and runs off into the desert to try to find Zero. He does eventually find him hiding under uh, Sam's boat that's now in the middle of the dried up lake. We'll find out, we'll come to find out. Um, That's where he's got some shade. And dude, this made me puke. (laughs) This was gross. They're eating this black sludge out of these jars. Uh, It turns out it's the jam that... uh, Kate was yeah, selling preserved peaches or something. Preserved like that. peaches, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And he's just slurping and down this sludge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least it's preserved, but like it's also like a hundred years old and like he calls it sploosh, which is just like you how can't can we say make sploosh this, like, in a movie called holes? Yeah. It's, <laughs> there's all this sploosh in these holes and like it's just like you come on, man. Like uh, think we're of a better, better than this. And like I we I get that zero is supposedly like illiterate. Come on, he he could just be like it's peaches. Like I don't know. Like <laughs> it's it tastes like peaches. Yeah, it does. But I call it sploosh. Like well, no, just call it peaches. It's fine. It's peaches and peach juice. Like it's it's edible. Whatever. I mean semantics. Semantics. It's edible. They eat it. They drink it. They survive. yeah. And Stanley says we got to go back to camp. Um, we'll convince everyone. We'll tell them where we actually found the um, the lipstick tube, so that you know we'll know where, where to actually dig, and they won't be mad at us, and uh, everything will be okay. But he refuses to go back, and so this is where he sort of fondly remembers on that about his um, you know his grandfather, and they do find what is perceived to be God's thumb. It's sort of a landmark that saved one of his ancestors back in the past. So they set off toward it. I'm thinking that if they get to the top, they might be able to find some some water or some salvation. Yeah, but on the way, friggin' Zero is trying to come clean about something. I mean, I think we yeah. already spoiled it. He's trying to come clean about the fact that he was the one that stole the shoes, and then he threw oh. them off a cliff, and they ended up hitting Stanley. But he ends up passing out on the way, and Stanley picks him up and carries him up the mountain, dude. Oh my god. Carries him up the mountain. He carries Hector Zeroni. Who's sick up the mountain. On again, like it's all like very contrived and and random, but it all I it's it's, so coincidental. Yeah, it's so coincidental, but you know what I mean? Like they've set it up so much that it's like, all right, man, I'm I I get it. It's borderline ex machina (laughs) shit, but like it's just like Because you've spent so long in these like backstories, you're like, all right, this is the payoff. 
Yeah, and he brings him up to a spring, and he and Hector drinks from the water, and while he's drinking from the water, just like the pig, Stanley starts singing this fucking dumb rhyme. Yeah, this little song that uh, his ancestor had to sing while the the pig drank. Thank God he did that. Thank yeah. God he did that, but it was it, like again one of those other things that they set up earlier at the dinner table in the beginning of the movie. He's singing it with his dad, or and the mom's like, "Stop singing that song," or whatever. Um, so again, mm-hmm. it's something that he sings often, but yeah, he thankfully sings it atop the mountain right after Hector's drank the water. Yeah, it's just a lot of situations where it's like, well, thank God he did that. Thank God he did yeah. that. If they hadn't been taking so much time to build it up where it's like, well, of course this is what has to happen. Yeah. It would be way too many coincidences. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, but because they took like the fucking last 90 minutes to just like explain all of this shit and it's like okay got it like this is yeah of course this is how this works out well on top of the mountain there there's also a bunch of onions dude them eating raw onion after onion also did not disgusting (laughs) did not bode well for me no i did read that i guess it was just apples wrapped in some sort of edible cover but them just constantly munching on these onions yeah oh man i mean if you were starving in the desert yeah of um, course yeah yeah, I mean, like, would I do it for survival? Sure. But, like, did it sit well with me while I was watching it? Nope. But after, you know, drinking all the water, eating the onions, they're back to some sort of health. And that's when, yeah, Zero's confession comes. He did steal the shoes at the homeless shelter drive, not because he knew they belonged to, you know, some celebrity, uh, but more because he just liked them and needed shoes. Um, but yeah, when, he heard he the, when he shoes. heard, like, the police coming, he tossed them off the bridge, and that's when they landed on Stanley. And um, right after that song is sung, Zeroni's been carried up the mountain. At that moment, Stanley's dad's foot concoction begins to work. Like something spills into the vat that he's making. No, you know what it's spills onions, into the vat, right? Brandon? It's onions and peaches. Onions and peaches. Yes, of course. Everything yeah. just fucking coming together, Brandon. <laughs> yeah. It's, and that's that's what... good storytelling, Brandon. That's they good writing. It, it wraps. It all comes together. <laughs> but peaches and onions, yeah, make the, the, the it all work. You can't smell the shoe. You can't smell the shoe. Everyone starts dancing. And... I'm sure there's zero scientific backing to that either. <laughs> I'm going to try let's, that. Yeah, let's try and, make, shoes let's and, yeah. try and make shoes less smelly with onions and citrus <laughs> or stone fruit. But yeah, it goes to show that, you know, right after that song was sung, the luck has turned around. And this is also where we finally cut to Kate's death. She's by the boat in the middle of the dried up lake. And, you know, she sees a vision of Sam. This must be after like 20 years after he's died um, while lying next to his boat. That's when the now bankrupt walkers, they track down Barlow and they demand that she hand over the treasure um, that she's stolen over the years. But Barlow refuses to tell them where it is. And she just tells him, you're going to be cursed. Your family's going to be cursed. Yeah, to dig holes for the next hundred years. the third curse in this movie because the lake dry the lake and the drought start the day they kill Sam, so that's a yeah. curse. Yep. And then she's like, Your family's not gonna find it for a hundred years. That's a curse. And then we have the Madame Zeroni curse. Three curses. Also, there was a ghost in the beginning of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, St- uh, Stanley thinks his luck's turned around too. He thinks this was all meant to be and decides, let's go back to camp, let's dig one more hole. And they uh, investigate the hole where Stanley originally found that lipstick, and they discover this fucking treasure chest that's in the side of the hole. Um, and just as they're dis- they discover it, that's when uh, the warden, Mister Sir, and Pandaski all sort of converge. Yeah, they soon. This is when we kind of also find out that Walker, um, you know, the the warden here is Trout's granddaughter, and 
she's been using the inmates essentially to search for Kate Marlowe's treasure because that's yeah. what her family was cursed to do. He made me dig every day. He, he made me dig even on Christmas. <laughs> was one of the lines. Yeah, I mean, it makes her a lot more sympathetic. Like, I felt bad dude, for her. Like, dude, it really does. And at the end here, I genuinely felt so bad for her when she too. begs to see what's in the chest and he just won't let her. Like, it's I know. So it, it's You know, it's a real catch-22 there because, like, Child yeah, labor feel, and slavery. And- <laughs> yeah, child slavery and, like, yeah, like, abusing children and, like, was, like, ready to just, like, write off two kids as just, like, well, the desert took them, destroy their files. Like, but, yep. like, also just, like, oh, like, years and years and years of your own abuse and, like, you just want, like, a little bit of closure and you're just denied it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to prison. But, yeah. I think we failed to mention that's like, because stanley's family discovered the key to like feet smells um they like now have the money to hire an attorney <laughs> yeah so yeah, like, her attorney, the- like stanley's attorney comes and he's like she's like i'm gonna come back with the police tomorrow <laughs> because right yeah stanley's where is he because they missing. can't yeah <laughs> yeah they can't and they're just like an they're like we're not gonna show you stanley and she's like what i'm his fucking attorney like so she yeah. comes back with police the next day while they're still down in the fucking hole. Yeah, because when they when they are discovered, as soon as they pull the trunk out, a bunch of those fucking yellow spotted lizards all converge. They hop on the, the chest. They're just all over the boys, and they're just essentially waiting for them to get bit. Um, they've got guns on them, but John Voight keeps saying, like, don't fire in there because then the lizards will just hop all around yeah. um, for and- fear of them, like, biting one of them, I guess. Yeah, and the reason they're not biting Stanley and Zero are because they ate onions. Yep, <laughs> that's right, onion breath. Uh, this that'll fucking do it. movie has such a hard <laughs> on for holes and onions, and I just don't get it. <laughs> I also this part was like kind of silly to me, and also just the way these CGI spotted like lizards look. It's so bad. Like, yeah, most of the time, awful. they use just a real lizard when they're holding it or something. Yeah, uh, like there's a, a few real ones here. Yeah. yeah, but like this part here, particularly when they're like. They call him a thief or whatnot, and he finally gets fed up and just hops out of the hole, and they throw the trunk up, and all of the lizards just are like, fuck off. They just jump away like, oh, all right. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, oh, okay. Headed back in the <laughs> hole. Thanks, dude. They hop out. All of our bad guys pretty much get arrested because that's when um, the attorney general, Stanley's lawyer, arrive, also accompanied by police officers, and that's when Zero reads that the chest yeah. actually has Stanley, Stanley Yelnat's name on it, dude. Stanley spelled backwards is Yelnats. We forget. We failed to mention that. It's a palindrome, dude. Tenant. Failed to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Tenant. Um, but I also. <laughs> yeah. This movie's Tenant. Um, I, did they explain why his name is on the because show? Because it's it, the only thing she ever ended up bearing, I guess, was this, the treasure she stole from that stagecoach robbery, which belonged to, yeah, oh. Stanley's ancestor there. I think that's the treasure chest, I guess. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yep. So that was the you know family what? treasure. Sure, sure. Um, fine. But yeah, Mr. Sir it. ends up getting arrested because it turns out he's like a convicted felon on the run. Pendaski's a criminal impersonating a doctor and deleting the files of, of children. There's an investigation and like there's clear child labor laws being violated here. So it's it just like obviously everybody gets arrested and then it fucking rains. Yeah. He gets zero out. Uh, the U.S. justice system essentially takes over the camp, so you know it's in good hands, eh? And it finally yeah. rains for the first time in, like, 100 years. And as they're, like, kind of waiting to be taken off to jail, yeah, the warden begs him to, like, please let me just see what's in She's the like, chest. please, just open it. Just yeah. open it, please. And he goes, excuse me, because that's her big thing. Yeah. Saying, excuse me. 
And then he uh, shuts the trunk, drives off, and um, yeah. yeah, dude, she probably kills herself in prison. Yeah, and so they they do eventually open the trunk. It's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, jewels and like deeds and promissory notes and shit in there. Bank bills. Yeah, yeah like it's it's worth like millions more than what it is today. Um, and they give half of it to Hector. Yeah, because the Zeroni, uh, you know, is kind of what started the curse, and because they were able to carry him up the mountain and end the curse, then uh, they feel like he deserves half too. So they're both millionaires. Yeah, and, he, and he did find half. He did find the treasure with him. So, yep. that's, you know. So they hire uh, private investigators because he's got some money now and they locate his missing mother who turns out was actually looking for him as well. We thought he was sort of just like a prom night dumpster baby type deal left alone. Sure, and, sure, uh, sure. So yeah, they're reunited knows. and uh, both families seemingly live happily ever after. You, you'll have to fill in the rest of your, the holes yourself. <laughs> that's right thanks stanley thanks stanley they make the fucking even more money off the foot odor thing they call it sploosh um oh yeah and the the sweet feet uh sweet athlete there is the uh you know celebrity endorsement the spokesman yeah. yeah yeah so that's it that's holes that's holes man <laughs> wow yeah. it's just so much going on and i i well, think a lot going on i'll get into it um yeah i, I think because it is such a dense adventure and i i hesitate to even call it an, an adventure it's more like a like a neo-western i guess for kids but yeah it is right. it is more intelligent than your average family fair and so like looking at the audience this was you know geared towards it's hard to find many films that rival it in in terms of just the scope of its story and you know the amount of weird coincidences and things they pepper throughout that do pay off in, in a roundabout way, but I think it's a good way to introduce kids to those, you know, that story structure, the the narrative twists and turns that you'll be able to see more, I think, fully fleshed out and a bit more mature in other, you know, books and movies later on in life. But for, you know, yeah. a first introduction to this sort of stuff, I, I do think it holds up. I think it's almost like a weird little fable or like a, a story that I could see carrying on just the basics of it. But there is just so much to it that it's hard to recommend it blindly to someone who's never read the book or maybe to an audience too young because i do worry that you're just going to get a bit lost because there's just again so many flashbacks so much backstory to set up it's a lot to digest it is i I do think it's pretty well acted especially from its younger cast again really it's shia labeouf and the zero kid who have most of the heavy lifting but i do think the adult characters do add a bit specifically sigourney weaver and tim blake nelson John Voight's doing his thing, and you know that can be good or bad. So take it as take it or leave it. But yeah, I I think it's really well photographed. But I but I think it's well worth your time. I think if you're nostalgic for it, I think that holds up. I think it's a good movie if you haven't seen it, and even if you haven't read the book, I think you'd be able to follow it. Again, this isn't Tenet, but yeah, um, it is uh just just a densely plotted adventure, but yeah. well worth your time. I I think it honestly like critics got it about right. I'm gonna pretty much match them. I think it's a three out of four star film. Um, I'm going to give it a 75. I think it's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I think this this book and I guess the movie do remind me of sort of those dark children adventures where like I, I kind of think of Lord of the Flies or like I Am the Cheese or something like that um, that are just like borderline like scary for, for a child experience. Um, but this one, I remember the book was a little softer than some of those other dark children stories. And I think that's really hard when you're adapting it into a movie like the Lord of the Flies movie is fucking 
it's violent. It's violent and scary and terrifying. Yeah. And like I like Disney's not going to do that. So I think I think there was a bit of a tone difficulty to navigate that they did pretty well on all things considered. Um I mean, yeah, you can you can question the source material and the tones now <laughs> in 2022 where you're just like Oh man, this is like borderline on like some very dark themes here that like maybe were unintended. But I think this movie does about as well as it can. It fits in, I think, like everything from the book. Almost everything from the book gets into this movie for better or for worse because it does. I worry sometimes that it's just so bloated with backstory and just so much like information getting crammed into your face at once that it's really a two hour movie where like not a lot is happening. You know what I mean? It just feels yeah. very stagnant um, it, when it when we're at the camp. Like, it just feels like nothing's really happening at the camp, but that's because we're just getting pounded with all this backstory. Like, essentially, the, the plot lies in this guy finds some treasure in a hole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but it takes two, but it takes two hours to do that. Um, so, but like, and. But and normally I would get mad about that, but I really don't think it's like anybody's fault. It, it it's just a difficult yeah. book to at, to adapt into a movie, um, and I think they did about as well as you can. Like you said, I think the acting was great. The casting's phenomenal in this movie. They do a really good job with all of that. It, it's it's charming. I can't say I was ever mm-hmm. really maybe a few times I was bored, but you know for two hours I think it does the trick. Um, and I think if you're if you're trying to get some nostalgia out of this, you'd absolutely you can absolutely do it. I'm not sure I would recommend it to a new viewer. Maybe go read the book first. I think you get just as much, if not more, from reading the book than you would watching the movie. But you know, it's it's a totally fine movie. I think it holds up pretty well. Um, the soundtrack, <laughs> hit or miss sometimes. Shia LaBeouf, you know, I think. It really, you can see why he became a star because of this movie, or you know, from this movie. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of agree with you. I'm gonna go a little bit lower as a seventy because I do think it's just like it's got its issues, but it is, you know, for the nostalgia factor, totally worth it. Um, if you're new to it, yeah, give it a watch, but consider uh, reading the book first. Yeah, agreed. It's on uh, Disney Plus if yeah. you do want to check it out. And again, I do think it's actually worth watching with like a younger, with younger kids. I think that they'd get quite a bit out of this, yeah. and this could challenge them in a way that you know, for us, it seems very superficial. I think a lot of the the story beats and whatnot, but to them, I think could be pretty exciting. I think a twelve year old gets a lot out of this, kind of like we yes. did. I mean, it, it, yeah, it hit home for us back Perfect when we were time. that age for a reason. And I think it's it would still do that today. I think it would still hold up for someone in that age bracket. But when you're, you know, nearing your damn thirties, oh my God, I turned thirty in fucking two months. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um <laughs> it, it 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 it's definitely like it's a different experience now than it was back when you were twelve. A twelve year old could see loving this movie getting a lot out of it as a thirty year old, you know, it's a movie that you saw back when you were in fucking eighth grade yeah yeah but for being nearly 20 years old i i mean i'm pleasantly surprised it held up as as well as it did yeah agreed agreed all right man anything you watched over the last uh few weeks that you mm. liked or didn't like oh man nothing have really you seen new. home team yet no i haven't seen home team i've been watching 
obviously uh, <laughs> i've seen home team like 17 times <laughs> i was gonna say man Kevin no i have not watched home team i've been watching this documentary series called bad sport um if you're a sports fan it's about sports scandals i mean the first oh. one is you know pretty like i've only i'm only a couple episodes in but the second one is fun because it's about a race car driver who funded everything by selling like pounds and pounds of marijuana um <laughs> fucking hilarious um but but um but I've been watching that. I've also, you know, got into Love is Blind season two. Came out Friday. <laughs> Fucking amazing television. Amazing, trashy television. It's so fun. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. That's all. I, you know, I'm not going to get too deep into anything. I haven't okay. been watching a lot. How about yeah. you? Yeah. I caught up with uh, Jackass Forever. Got oh. that in theaters. You know, I will say it's as, it may not be my favorite Jackass film, but it's good to see those guys on screen again you, you don't get obviously ryan because he's passed and bam because yeah. of his personal issues yeah um and in that respect it is weird to just it's almost like you know re-watching a you know a, or revisiting a group of friends you haven't seen in a while and then for some reason a few of them are missing and they've just introduced a bunch of new people you don't quite have that familiarity yeah. with so it's hard i think to enjoy it on the same level as you did the first ones but as far as just the gags, you know, the constant like creativity that these fucking guys have while yeah. also being simultaneously incredibly dumb. Yeah. Uh, I had a good time. And, and honestly, we don't see like there aren't many comedies that get released in theaters anymore. I was genuinely trying to think last year, just a straight comedy in theaters. I couldn't fucking name one. They had like Free Guy and like the Suicide Squad, Ghostbusters Afterlife. These are movies that yeah. are kind of comedies, but big fucking studio hits. Academy nominated Free Guy. <laughs> that's right academy award nominated free guy um but yeah they just maybe good boys was the last one i saw in theaters that was a genuine just fucking studio comedy nothing else yeah and it's just it's sad because there's something you get when you watch a, a comedy you know in a theater with with a crowd yeah that you don't get when you see it streaming at home but i'll say yeah definitely worth a watch if you like jackass if you don't like jackass this, this isn't going to be the one to turn you around yeah i you know i can i can take or leave jackass Personally. I understand. Yeah, and and honestly, they did thankfully tone down a lot of the gross out gags, and a lot of the mean spiritedness does seem to be gone. I, I will recognize that. So, Those are know, all the I, things I used to bother me about Jack. <laughs> yeah, gross, I will say it. It's less. The, it's like, less of that. Actual, there's like, still plenty. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of but there's less of it. Yeah. Um. And then the other one I caught was <laughs> "Marry Me" with Owen Wilson. You did and not. Jennifer Lopez. See marry <laughs> <me>. <laughs> On oh Peacock. my god, we've been making jokes about that. Dude, it's so dumb. <laughs> yeah, of course I'll marry you. Wow. Yeah, wow. wow. Uh, exactly what you thought. I think it is. The poster, the title, it says it all. I will say, um, kind of cool. They're both in their 50s. You just don't see like rom-coms with people in that age. Like most of the rom-coms now go to fucking, again, Netflix or Hulu, and they star people who are 18 years old and I've never heard of. Uh, but yeah. Well, I, th if, I think one of my specific problems was it that was that that seems like an odd couple. Oh, it is incredibly odd, but I will say they, they're they the only things that save the movie. The movie's fucking contrived and cliched to hell, yeah. but their chemistry's not bad. And um, Crazy. I, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's it's If you if you miss the movies where people are running through a fucking airport confessing their love, there you go. Mary not me personally, you. but uh, <laughs> quick, I want a quick Rotten Tomato score, like right off the oh, yeah, I think it's like 57%, dude. Oh, oh, for me. For me. What I would give it, you, yeah, yeah, I would give it a, it's a 40. It's a okay. 40. Okay. It That's was, fine. yeah. You yep. don't even need to explain. I just wanted to know. No, yeah, exactly. You don't need to see it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, next week, uh, if you want to join us, it's just came to Hulu first of this month. We've had a couple recommendations or requests rather to do it in the past before 
the untimely passing of Betty White, but since another recommendation came through to do it, and honestly, it's been a movie I've wanted to cover on the podcast for a while. Yeah. It's 82 minutes, so it's in and out. We're covering uh, 1999's Lake Placid. Haven't seen it, so. Ooh, Zach. For me. This is going to be one of those I know front I'm, to back. We're I've already, seen it so many times back. We're already <laughs> at odds about it, though, with the whole like location of it, because I've been to Lake Placid, New York. Like, <laughs> and I informed him earlier that it actually takes place in uh, Maine and not on a lake called Lake Placid. <laughs> I'm fucking already super <laughs> upset. So like, <laughs> the one thing that I would have taken out of this movie, it's like, oh, that's so cool. I've been to Lake Placid. Like, I'd rather watch Miracle now because I've been in there. So like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. No, but yeah, I, I, I was obsessed with creature features. This is, you know, Anaconda, Deep Blue Sea. Now you got a fucking alligator or a crocodile or whatever. So I'm in. I'm in. Spoiler, dude. Can't wait to rewatch. Yeah, sorry, yeah. dude. But you'll get into it. Yeah. I'm sure I will. But yeah, that's streaming on Hulu if you want to check that out prior to uh, the episode dropping. And if you want to see or listen rather to any of our episodes, you can catch them all on nbd.podbean.com where we are originally uh, our originally hosted site. And you can catch us really on any streaming uh, platform where you get your uh, podcast there, Apple, iTunes, Spotify. We're out there. Yeah. Make sure you uh, please, please, please like us, subscribe us, review us, anything you can to get our podcast really going. We would love that. Also, please, 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 of course, share this with a friend. And if you have any requests or you uh, just want to yell at us, send us some hate mail. You can send it at uh, nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. That's right. You can also drop us a line on Twitter or on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, be good people. Wash your hands. Um, keep your holes clean. Digging up damn holes. Digging up holes. Digging up holes. Digging up holes.